0: Welcome to the Tales of Africa podcast with your host Richmond Setrana. Today, we have a very important guest in our studio who will be talking to us about disrupting the political narrative in Africa. He is not a novice on the political scene and very well known in Ghana. As a social and political commentator, he has won the hearts of many and inspires us all that one day, Africa will be rid of the various cancers that eat deep into our political system. We'll allow him to introduce himself and then we can delve right into today's session over to you sir. welcome to the tales of africa podcast it's a great honor to have you
1: uh richmond it's a it's a great pleasure to be invited and to be here so uh, uh thank you for doing that and, and hello to all your uh your cherished listeners my name is marik kofi gan uh, i am a ghanian full-blooded Ghanaian, born in Keta. Uh, and uh, I am a chartered accountant and uh, an international development uh, person. And uh, I, I have a lot of passion for the youth of Africa and that of Ghana, especially. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, they are the only bridge that can take us from where we are to the future that we all seek for this great continent of ours. Uh, and yes, I've been involved in politics for the last couple of years and uh, great to be here.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you very much. It's an honor to have you.
1: Pleasure, man.
0: So today we are talking about disrupting the political narrative in Africa. And then as we all know, politics in Africa mostly fly on the wings of two charismatic political parties. Or in some cases, one man running the show for several decades. So then, any person or party outside of the two major political parties usually does not win power, no matter how promising or brilliant they may be. But then again, we are beginning to see pockets of disruption in certain places, such as the ever-growing popularity of Bobby Wine in Uganda and the rerun of elections in Malawi, where the opposition leader eventually emerged president. So, as someone who was recently an aspiring independent presidential candidate in Ghana, do you think that there is hope for Africa in the coming years in realizing a continent that does not vote along sentimental, ethnic, or religious lines, but rather on what a candidate has to offer?
1: Uh, Thank you, Richmond. And uh, interesting question. Do I think there is still, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of hope. Mm -hmm. I I would dare say that the hope of Africa is growing at a proportional rate at which it's becoming youthful. Uh, And the reason why I say that if if you look at the political uh, geography of Africa, largely those in office now, those in power now, those who form the majority of the social elite class the middle class and all that these are people who have grown in an era where politics has largely been uh, family based largely being uh, uh, ethnical loyalty based and and whatnot and whatnot. Uh, The current generation of Africans we have and the younger generation of Africans who have been to school, who uh, by virtue of the internet are exploring what is happening in other places, whose eyes are opening wider to the world than the generation before them. Realistically, they just want life to work. They're not interested in the family loyalty. My father has been voting for this party, and so I also need to vote for this party. Uh, my ancestors have been supporters of this political regime, so I'm also uh, tied up to them. Uh, we're having Africans that are growing, uh, young Africans who are growing more free, more open in their thinking, uh, more focused on just getting systems to work, rather than you know the blind loyalty that we've seen over the years and the. And the entitlement sort of politics we've seen over the years. So uh, it's it's one of the biggest reason why I you know my hope is in is is in a lot of the youth because they hold the key uh, to ensuring that Africa is liberated. the The other angle to all of this is that they they don't see politics they don't see politics as um, as, uh, as you know, simply following a one-man person. They, they see politics as what value are we getting or can we get from this process? And so for that reason, the youth hold a tremendous key to making sure uh, that, you know, the future of Africa's politics uh, gets better than it currently is.
0: That's a very interesting take. So this shows that... Um Politics in Africa in the 21st century is, is taking on a new dimension. So then, this leads to the second question, because it seems that we are beginning to see a new wave of change that is sweeping across Africa, like the end SARS movement in Nigeria that got their, power, that got their government sorry, to disband the notorious SARS units of their police force. And then the street protests in Mali, that calls for an end to the presence of France in the country. And then the protests in Uganda, that calls for an end to dictatorship. So then, I ask you, is a disruption anywhere on the continent likely to trigger similar causes of action in other parts of Africa?
1: Well, I, I believe it will. Uh, sadly so. And I say sadly so because, you know, protest and, and whatnot uh, can tend to be dangerous sometimes. Uh, it is not... My, it's, it's not every or any political leader's first choice of action to, to bring about change. Uh, unfortunately, it's appearing more and more that for a lot of these entrenched leaders, for these leaders who feel entitled to their political positions, it's the only language they understand. Uh, and I think the reason why it's gaining not only popularity, but some level of effectiveness is that you know, with the essence of television, radio, social media, and all that, what tends to happen is that when something of that nature is happening in one country, it it transcends, it becomes no more just the voice of the people of that country. It becomes the voice of the entire world because as as soon as the world starts watching the voice of the world also starts becoming a part of the picture, and so it's not like before where uh, a leader can hide in their own country uh, and and decide to be a leader against the people, against you know their will, and 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 get away with it. This time round, you know things like that they reach far. Uh, people put their voices to it, including people who normally would have been. Uh, uh, investing in those countries, who would have been doing business with those countries, and so you know the world is is now global uh, and also intimate in that regard, and and that's the reason why it's gotten a bit more effective uh, than we have seen in the past. But it's it certainly is not any leader's first choice of action in terms of uh, enforcing change, but. Yes, in some cases, if that is the only language that the, the dictators, or I call them the democratic dictators, understand, then it is the language that has to be spoken to them. Um, of course, yes, there is some risk involved, but you know, sometimes the pain of uh, getting change to happen uh, becomes much, much less than the pain of enduring the status quo. Uh, and when that happens, yes, people must get out there and let their voices be heard.
0: Okay, thank you so much. So if I get you correctly, you will say that um, protests should not be the first point of call, right? We have institutions, we have systems in place that should have been working um, effectively to ensure that the grievances of the people are met, right?
1: Ideally, yes. I mean, uh, not not even ideally, but sensibly, that is what should happen, you know. But as you know, is the case with a lot of African governments who have been in power for so long, is that they transcend just being in power. They begin to be owners of the systems that should be protecting the citizens. They begin to be you know, owners of the institutions that should be uh, being the voice of the people. They transcend to become... The, the very fabric of the politics in those countries, and therefore they can manipulate uh, anything and everything they choose to manipulate. And, and that's what makes it difficult, whether it's the manipulation being, you know, using money to buy votes, whether it is uh, rigging the elections very easily because they actually have uh, the, 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 the hands of the electoral processes tied to them, or the institutions are supposed to be standing as as last guards for the people, you know, over time these people begin to find out that the only way they can also survive is to be in in the in the party. Sorry, in the in the in the in the joy ride with with the leaders of the state, and that's what tends to happen over time. That's why the longer somebody stays in the office, the harder it is difficult to. Uh, to get them out, at at least in the African context. Um, And and so, you know, it is sometimes necessary that that route is taking. albeit I I would be the first to say that, you know what, if if all the countries in Africa uh, and all the youth in those countries that weren't going the way uh, the future requires it to go could all come together and have one big African agenda and rise to their feet and say no more of the entitled leadership, Uh, I I think it will even have a bigger impact because then that will be entirely across across the continent of Africa.
0: Okay, thank you so much. That was very enlightening. So um, we know that the African Union has been slow to condemn violence and unrest in Africa, right? So, for example, they failed to quickly condemn police brutality in Nigeria and are currently largely silent on the harsh treatment being meted out on Bobby Winey in Uganda, whose only offence was to run for office against a man who has been in power for about 35 years. So in your opinion, what do you think must be done for the African Union to become more proactive and to also respond to issues more swiftly?
1: Well, you know, first of all, I mean... The the strength of condemnation is only as strong as whether you actually have power behind that condemnation to, be able to uh, True. Uh, influence. And so you know the African Union can condemn all they want, but uh, the leaders within that most of them know they don't have the influence they uh, they require to to influence any decision whatsoever. Uh, and so it really doesn't matter whether they condemn or not i i think over the years what has really happened is that uh quite and i mean the african union is a is a it's a it's a, group, a grouping of leaders uh and and if amongst those leaders you have the majority uh entrenching themselves uh then it becomes a lot more easier for them to be uh how do i put it the the extended arms of of Western governments and the like, which is which is unrealistically uh, the case for for the most part, um, and so the African Union is not there with a united front fighting for the rights of Africans, fighting for the liberation of the entirety of Africa. Pretty much every single one of them, there except for a few, have their own uh entrenched agendas and it certainly is not for the people. And so when you have a fragmented front like that, uh there is no way you can show up somewhere and and want to use your influence to correct a wrong in another country. Uh, because what wrong are you gonna try and correct when it's almost like saying you have a huge, big log in your eyes, and yet you want to come and remove the speck in somebody else's uh, uh, single country eye. And so, it's not going to be the case. A lot of a lot of our leaders in that union are compromised, uh, to, to, to say the least. Um, and 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 some of them are bought out, to say the least. And so, until we start to have African leaders who stand for the rights of their people who are willing to be uh uh big players on the international front in terms of standing up to who they need to stand up to putting their citizens first before anything else and before themselves first and you know that's the kind of leadership that is going to get the african union to start to have a voice but it's as long as it's there People in there are in the pockets of other governments. It certainly is not going to a voice. And these guys, they know each other. They know themselves. And so if I know you are all, you know, sucked up in dirt and you're in somebody's pocket, you have no moral right uh, to come to my country and come and tell me what to do. That's that's why they will keep quiet, you know. So a lot has to do with the leadership um and the unification of those leadership. Uh but even more so the, the, the unified uh objective of those leaders within the African Union. If 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 all of them are not putting their citizens first, uh, there's gonna be a big hole in terms of the legal um currency I any of them would have to go and talk to another country about doing something wrong. Uh and for the most part some of them you know what they should be talking about in another country is the very thing they themselves will do, and they know themselves. Sad to say.
0: Wow, that's 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 very true, and that's very sad. So, I hope um African leaders are listening. So this is a wake up call to the African Union to do the right thing, so that we can be able to move our continent forward. So um say, so then. Talking let's 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 talk about the US elections for a bit, okay? So taking the US elections into consideration, we realize that it's largely a battle of ideas rather than the age of the candidates, okay? Because Barack Obama became president at the age of forty-seven. So then my question to you is this: Is experience a function of age? Political experience? Is it a function of age? And how does African values such as respect for elders influence politics in Africa? <laughs>
1: I mean, if 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 politics was largely about age, then Africa, which has the highest uh, collection of the oldest presidents, should be doing far much better than any other continent on the world. It isn't the case, so it certainly is not a function of age. If it is a function of political uh, experience, then the same would apply because this, a lot of our leaders uh, have been uh some of the longest serving politicians, some of them you know military then became political but they've stayed in office for long uh some of them the entire families have been in office for long and so if it, it really if it is just a matter of political experience that's what it is, then you know Africa would be would would be the first world and all the other countries third world, but that is not a case so it really is not about, you know, the political uh, experience or the age. It is about a commitment to see one's country do better. I, I often say there are two types of greed. Uh, there's the individual greed and there's the national greed. What we practice a lot in some of the countries in Africa is, is largely individual greed where a few people at the very top want to cream everything and everybody else can suffer. Whereas if you go to other countries, your focus is that wherever the country needs to get to to be the best, to get the best, to progress the most, that's where we want to get to. It doesn't matter if we have to walk over other countries. As long as our country prospers, that's all we're interested in. Now, that's that's a level of greed. I'm not saying it's the best, but it's a mindset. The mindset that, our country must always be put as a priority above everybody else and everything else because if my country does well the people within the country have a higher chance of doing well and so you know this issue about um, it's not about age for me it's not i mean the the some of the western countries uh, some of the scandinavian countries for example have the youngest uh, Uh, presidents now or or, or prime ministers now, and they're still functional. I think it is the systems that have been built over the years. Um, I mean, you talk about the U.S. election not be a function of uh, uh, age, but one of ideologies. I I even doubt if, you know, the last two elections have been ones of ideologies. I I think they have been largely ones of identities. you know, the Americans felt, you know, they they have lost themselves. And so when Trump came shouting, let's find ourselves back again, and most people jumped onto that train. And then they realized this wasn't the guy to deliver that. And then they, they started looking for their old identity, which is for America to be the strong force that everybody else has to listen to, uh, that everybody else shows respect to. And they found that in uh, uh, His Excellency Joe Biden. And so the important thing is that they do have systems that ensure that the voice of the people are always listening to. It's always listened to. Um, and irrespective of how much power you wield as an executive, the systems ensure that, yes, you would use that power But you are going to be forced to use it only for the good of the people, not for your personal interest. That's where we miss it. That's where we largely miss it here is that, yes, people wield power, but the systems are so compromised that the systems actually ensure that there is nothing going to happen to them if they deploy those powers for themselves and not the people. That's the big difference.
0: Wow, thank you. This is something else. And I know our listeners are really learning and they are picking one or two wisdom nuggets from this. So to our last question, okay. Um, We realize that the political side in Africa is changing and more young people are now venturing into running for office, okay? Like Bobby Wynnie as we have it and your good self. So then many are also calling for the older leaders to give young people the opportunity or the chance to offer a new sense of direction. My question then is this. Would young people be given the opportunity to show what they have to offer if long-ruling incumbents are up and doing with an enviable track record of making their economies better and improving the lives of their people?
1: Well, first of all, I don't think some of the incumbents we have in Africa are going to hand over power or give that kind of opportunity to young people. Uh, some of them don't even believe that young people are ready to take uh, power and, and and handle it. Um, but as I keep saying to some of them, it's actually an indictment on themselves that they haven't groomed enough young people uh, to be seen as capable, because it means that they have no idea of succession planning, or they have no intention of succession planning. Uh, and so Sorry to disappoint the young people, but look, we're gonna have to go out there and take it. It's not no none of these guys are gonna put it on a silver platter and hand it to you and say, "Hey, this is your generation, this is your era. So come on board and let's make this happen." It's not gonna happen. You know, it's been what? How many years since African countries started getting independence? Or just about just above sixty years ago? It's not gonna happen. You know, the systems are not even there for you to say, okay, uh, at least there is some pipeline succession planning. So uh, there is some indication that the intent is even there. It is not there. You know, African governments are not interested in grooming young people to come and take over from them, they are afraid of going back to the societies There's so much uh, uh, didn't get much from and now they're in this sweet spot, they're not interested in going back. They're interested in hanging in there till they grow old and and die off. And so, uh, you know, to young Africans who are expecting a better future or a better, you know, uh, environment for themselves, as they see is the case outside uh, their own countries, you're going to have to get out there and take it. And so, if you're sitting down yeah. as a young person and you say, "Oh, I don't want to get involved in politics," oh, or you're a Christian young person, and you say, "Oh, politics is is dirty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't want to get involved yeah. in it." I'm sorry, but you know, you it's it's the very people who you have given office to who are going to mess your future up. Because look, here's the thing: <laughs> a lot of these leaders don't even understand the kind of era we are in. You talk to some of these folks about technology and all they mention is a computer. Computer is not technology. And so they don't even understand the era we are in. They don't understand that the way things were done 40, 50 years ago is is different now. They don't understand that the thinking uh, in our era is different. They don't understand that Uh, the way problems are being solved today are different from the way they used to be solved. They don't understand the era we are in. And so for people like that, we can hardly expect, you know, that they, they have what it takes to define a future for us. I mean, if you can understand today, there is absolutely no way you can start planning my future, your future. And so for young people out there and across Africa who are thinking that, you know, one day we would have the opportunity to serve our country, nobody's going to give you that opportunity. You're going to have to get out there, prove yourself, and take it. You owe that to yourself. You owe that to yourself. Because I tell you one thing, uh, posterity is not going to forgive any one of us. Look, I, I keep saying this, and, I, and I'll probably repeat it here just before my time runs out. is that. The young African today uh, has one of the greatest burdens ever. Because, you see, if you're a generational thinker, what tends to happen is that the older generation that is handing over to you needs to hand you over a foundation. You need to use that foundation to build a life for yourself and build an even much bigger household for the next generation. And then uh, the next generation also comes in and builds upon a bigger foundation that you left them. Unfortunately, a lot of the younger generation are not going to be left with much. So really, we have a lot of work to do to build our own world, uh, close the gaps between us and the rest of the world and then begin to establish a solid foundation that we can hand over to posterity. That is people the work. And so let's not pretend that we think, you know, one day it's all going to be nice and rosy and we're going to be called to the table. No. We're going to have to go out there, prove ourselves, and take it. We're going to have to take it. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, sir. Thank you so much for your time. And this has been a very wonderful session. And I don't think um, this should be the last time we should be hearing about you because, you know, you have a very beautiful mind and Africa needs you for the work ahead. So if you can quickly maybe mention your social media handles so that people who want to hear more about, you know, your commentary on politics, on the society, they want to follow you and get to hear you more? I don't know. Can you drop your social media handle? So that you can uh, yes.
1: I mean, my my handle on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, it's all my first and my second name, which is Marik Gan. So that's spelled M-A-R-R-I-C-K-E uh, and then Gan, which is G-A-N-E, all one word, Marik Gan. Uh, Google me, Marigan, it'll all pop up either on Facebook, on Twitter or on uh, Instagram and the rest. Thank you very much.
0: Okay, thank you so much. Thank you and this has been a very beautiful session. I've I've learnt a lot and I've really enjoyed this session. So, to our listeners, we, we hope this was worth your time and then kindly subscribe to our channel, okay? Tales of Africa Podcast. Subscribe to our channel. Follow us on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on On Twitter, follow us across all our social media platforms for more amazing and interesting content about Africa. So, we'll catch you again sometime later. Thank you and bye bye.